Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Kathy Kay and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, April 7th, 2017 and we are reading from the big book. We are on page 24, the first full paragraph which begins, the fact is that most alcoholics Today's readers are Maura Z on the 12 Steps, Zakia J on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Christine K and Chrissy G. The reference numbers for yesterday, Thursday, April 6, the 7 a.m. meeting 9804, and the 10 a.m. meeting 9806. Our newcomer greeter is Mary B., and hosting the second hour is Maura Z. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. uh, Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Maura Z to read the 12 steps of OA. Good morning, Kathy Kay. Maura Z recovered in Virginia. 12 steps. One, We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, thought through prayer and meditation, to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, 
we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And I pass. Kathy, are you there? Sorry, I was muted. Um, thank you, uh, Morrissey. And I will now ask Zakia J to read the 12 Traditions of OA. Thank you. Good morning. This is Zakia J, um, Recovering Compulsive Overeater. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters, the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our, com- I'm sorry, let me put my glasses on. I apologize. Okay. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, our group purpose. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he expressed himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, An OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lease, problems of money, property, and prestige, divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence, the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles above personality. Thank you. Thank you, Sakia J. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. 
Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we begin our study on page 24, uh, the paragraph in italics that begins, the fact is that most alcoholics, and I will ask Christine Kay to read four paragraphs. We will comment on the second, third, and fourth paragraphs, as the first paragraph is for context only. Please go ahead, Christine. Good morning. My name is Christine Kay. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Raleigh, North Carolina. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drinks. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way, and after the third or fourth, pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink, or what's the use anyhow? When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid and unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history, but for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop but cannot. Um, thank you for letting me do this service this morning. Again, Christine Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Raleigh, North Carolina. And um, I wanted to volunteer to be a reader because it's been a year, one year, since I finally um, understood um, what they were talking about in this big book. Um, and it's not because I never opened the book because I had highlighted and underlined and um, I have, I had this book for 15 years because I was a member of OA for 20 something years. And this is the exact type of thinking that went on in my head. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. And 
I did it over and over and over. I kept putting my hand on that hot stove and saying to myself, this time I, I won't get burned. And um, I consider myself, um, you know, a, a you know average person and in other ways I'm pretty successful I, I teach I have a master's degree why couldn't I figure this out and um, it got to the point me one year ago um, just binging and I even started purging at one point in my career <laughs> my eating career because I was so desperate and I was hopeless absolutely hopeless but I kept trying it over and over and over. I didn't understand that um, that this sort of thinking, you know, when this sort of thinking is fully established, um, I've, I didn't understand that I placed myself beyond human aid. And I finally got to the point where um, I listened to the vision for you because someone told me about it and um, I felt better. But then, you know, I would go into the same cycle and I was absolutely powerless. You know, here it says so many want to stop but cannot. It wasn't because I didn't want to. I really wanted to. I just didn't know how. And um, finally, I last year um, was my last binge in April. And I won't, um, it was bad. It was bad, bad, bad. I was hopeless. And um, I white knuckled it from Tampa, Florida, all the way back to Raleigh. I had been visiting my dad, and um, and that was a Saturday. And then Sunday, again, I white-knuckled it. And Monday, I finally got up enough courage, I don't know where it came from, to say my name and I needed help. And, and that was the beginning. And um, so gratefully, somebody reached out back to me and said, I can take you through the doctor's opinion. And so much has changed in my life, yet everything is the same physically, you know, like my out, the outside of my life. But I have been um, transformed from the inside out. And, you know, if there's anybody listening that wants to stop but cannot, just stay on this line and tell us who you are. We can help. And um, so, so grateful for um for all of you, and um, with that, I pass. Thank you, Christine Kay. Who would like to share on this thir- second through fourth paragraphs that Christine read? Natasha Minister A. R. Minister R. Natasha okay. A. Um, I have Natasha Kay and Nessa R. Who else? Okay, we'll start with those two, and then I'm sure we'll want to hear from others. Natasha Kay, please go ahead. Hi, this is Natasha A. as an apple. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Natasha A. recovered from this disease in upstate New York. Um, First thing that pops into my mind, and the first thing, you know, we're really seeing it here. We see it a lot in Bill's story, but we see the mental blind spot, you know, Um. It's that minute, it's that do or die minute where you go to take the drink and you're mentally blind all of a sudden. You can't remember. It's, it reminds me all the time how I explain the mental blind spot is I explain that women, women who are pregnant and they have babies, they, their body releases a hormone into their brain that actually makes them forget the pain of childbirth. So are we as animals instinctually will want to do it again because for anybody who goes through the pain of childbearing, 
why on earth would they want to do that again? And that's so much my disease. I have a mental blind spot. I have a hormone that's released that makes me forget what it's like to be up at 4 o'clock in the morning purging my brains out and stick to my stomach or in the hospital because I've caused myself stomach ulcers with my overeating. I have hospital bills that I could just put in front of me every time I, like, wanted to go eat. And I, they still, I just rip them to the side and just be like, oh, that didn't happen, you know? And that's the mental blind spot. And, um, yeah, to drink like other people, that is what got me over and over in chronic relapses. This time I'll do it like other people, this obsession that I could be normal. And, yeah, it's only solved. You know, we have to get sane with this. This is, the, this is what I call for me the crazies. And the only way I can get clear-minded and see the hot stove and see the medical bills and see that it was painful is, when I work the 12 steps and I get recovered because that is the only time I have the sanity to see what happened in the past. So like, like we said, if you're new, just stay here. There is recovery here. This is the solution. There's one solution. We came for the same problem. We will stay for the same solution. You and I pass. Thank you, Natasha A. Nessa R., please go ahead. Thank you. Um, good morning, Vision, for you. It's Nessa R., recovered in Toronto, Canada, and um, I like this uh, passage. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. And I often like to juxtapose this passage with the one on page 84 that says, when tempted, or if tempted, uh, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. So in page 24, uh, we don't have a defense. But in page 84, it seems that we do, you know, because if tempted, I recoil from it as if from a hot flame. So, so what's the difference? Like, is the big book contradicting itself? And the answer is no. Like, the difference is 60 pages. And contained in those 60 pages are um, 10 of the 12 steps, you know, it's steps 2 through 10. And so what this tells me is that if I want a transformation, if I want the thinking that pushes me towards the food time and time and time again, um, despite the fact that every single time I have ended up, you know, full of fear, shame, guilt, and remorse, if I want that thinking to change, utter desire is not enough because if utter desire was enough, there'd be nobody on this line. I certainly wouldn't be on this line because I would have stopped a long time ago. So what this tells me, you know, this, this um, um, I guess, interval between pages 24 to 84 is that there's work to be done. And if I want the transformation, I have to work for it. Yes, God will transform me, but I have to make the vessel uh, to receive um, that blessing that God will bestow upon upon me, you know, God is not just going to knock on my door and say, "Here, you know, I'm going to uh, to remove your uh, your food obsession gratis." It's not going to happen. I have to do the work, and this is what uh, these two passages in pages 24 and 84 tell me. If I do the work that I must do you know, in abstinence, work the steps to the best of my ability, as indicated in this book, that transformation will happen, and I will get to a place where food will be in a position of neutrality, and if I'm ever tempted, I will recoil from it as if from a hot flame, and I will pass. Thank you. 
<laughs> Thank you, Ms. R. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? Diane. 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 Melissa. Melissa C. Melissa R. Deborah R. Barbara. Barbara. Is that Barbara E? That is. Hello. Okay. I'm sorry, who is that? Is that Raquel? Yeah, yeah. Hi. Good morning. Thank you, Raquel. Lisa B. Lisa B. Okay, let's stop there. We have Diane B, Melissa C, Deborah R, Barbara E. Raquel E. and Lisa B. Please go ahead, Diane. Hi, I'm Diane. I'm a compulsive overeater from uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. And um, I'm, I'm in the middle of the fourth step right now, so um, I'm, I'm not saying recovered, but um, I am working very, very um very, very hard on my fourth step, um, but I want to focus on this last paragraph because it says what this sort of thinking is, when this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid and unless locked up may die or go permanently insane. My My personal experience is Anytime that I relapsed from food addiction, I ended up in a psychiatric unit. Um, I struggle with depression too, but um, I always ended up in a psychiatric unit because I could not stop eating and I needed a reprieve from the food and it was the only way that I could get a reprieve because I could not stop. And so if I went to a psychiatric unit, that way they would make me stop. And I would be able to stop for a period of time. But as soon as I got out, I would start right back up. And this went on for 40 years. And today, or this Saturday, I have a month and a half without binging. And that, to me, is a miracle. I mean, it's an absolute miracle. And just the fact that I get up every morning and listen to Vision for You, and I'm doing the footwork. I call my sponsor every day at 9 o'clock on the dot. I call every meal in. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, the commitment is there, and I'm very grateful to Vision for you. Thank you, and I passed. Thank you, Diane. Uh, Melissa C., please go ahead. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, what, what really jumped out at me was the, um, you know, whenever I lost weight in the past, getting the visual appearance of normal, it always made it really easy for me to say to myself, this won't burn me this time. You know, here's how. You know, or after, for me, a period of dieting successfully, what I thought successful, um, just picking up something in the most casual way seemed, um, you know, like, uh, like um, I would say I was making too much of this problem. See, I- I'm doing okay. Here's how, you know. And so I was, like, most vulnerable when I was beginning to look no- more normal appearance-wise. And, um, you know, and then 
as it progresses, um, I could not get periods of dieting um, in between binging. You know, for me, the only normal was binging. And so it led to what's the use anyhow? And, you know, um, once you're at that point, what's the use anyhow, you are beyond human aid because there is nothing anybody's useful um, recommendations, diets, uh, advice, lectures could not get me into action. I was unable, you know, to to take action. And so, um, and yet, that was the best freaking thing that ever happened to me. When I reached truly that point of beyond human aid, I was ripe for a transformation. You know, when every diet had failed over and over again, um, reaching the point of what's the use anyhow made me um, finally um, willing to look at things that defied logic to me, like this program of recovery. It made no sense to me that God, this power, was going to remove something, and yet I had enough experience to know that human power wasn't doing the trick. So um, it's just a, for me, it's just another gratitude, just deep gratitude for that terrible place of desperation. Thank you. With that, I will pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Deborah R., please go ahead. Good morning, everyone. I just got her. Thank you. Yes, good morning, everyone, and thank you for getting up and um, being part of this wonderful fellowship and immersing yourselves in these wonderful study of these words. Um, they're both good paragraphs. I just, I think of the incapability of myself to not put my hand on that hot stove when I was in the food. I would go to the lengths of the earth to get what I needed to binge on. I would do crazy things. Um, I would bake beyond belief and eat beyond belief, and there was no defense. I just knew something wasn't right, but I didn't know what, and I certainly felt like I was the only one in the world going through this. Nobody else does this or has this crawling of my skin, this insatiable urge to... um, eat things when I had no intention, I was full, I was beyond full, and I was miserable. Um, And it mentions also how often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way and after the third or fourth pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did we ever start again? Um, Mantra, why can't I quit? Promise myself, Every night, I, tomorrow's a new day, um, and I wake up and I swear by 10 I was back into the donuts and the diet pop. And the only thought was supplanted, well, I'll stop at the whatever bite or what's the use anyhow. And that's how my torment went. 
around and around in this cycle. Um, and I truly believe, as but for the grace of God, there would be thousands of, con- of more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop but cannot. I could not stop until I walked into these rooms of OA and I saw other people put down the food. I saw recovery in front of me and I wanted what they had and I was willing to do whatever they said and that was basically put down the food, identify those individual binge foods and ingredients, stay away from them all, just put one foot in front of the other and start reading this book and working with a sponsor. I also committed my food and thank you for letting me share. And I pass. Thank you, Deborah R. Barbara E, please go ahead. Barbara press star one to unmute. Oh, wonderful. That's great. Thank you so much for taking this. This is such an important group of paragraphs for me to read. I can't stop from starting, and after starting, I can't stop. I puzzled over what these words meant. They were so confusing. But finally, I got them. I knew. I knew for myself in my gut I had to find a power outside of me and outside of my kitchen because my mind kept giving me permission to keep going back to the food, not because I was hungry. I never was hungry because I ate all day. Every once in a while, I would try a new diet and lose huge amounts of weight, but sooner or later, I would snap and for no special reason beyond the fact I have selective amnesia, I would say, I must be normal now. I'm no longer vulnerable. I'm in control. I couldn't remember the pain and suffering that followed this kind of grandiose thinking. I had selective amnesia, if you will. I was careless with my life. My disease was always ready to take me down. And it was indeed, for me, toxic and life-threatening. But I feel I had to go through the pain and suffering that I went through all those times to be ready to accept OA, the program, and the tools. They work hand in glove. They're like spokes of a well-made tire or bicycle wheel. I have to use them all together. I have to really, really believe that there is a power greater than myself and I can utilize that power every day by choosing to read the big book, really understand through you all what's being said and embrace it and accept who I am and never, ever forget. I have to keep my memory green or I will die for sure. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Raquel E., please go ahead.
Raquel, press star one, please, to unmute. Okay, we'll see if Raquel comes back. Uh, Lisa B., please go ahead. Good morning. This is Lisa B. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy, for your service. Good morning. This is Lisa B., a grateful recovering, or sorry, grateful recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And, um, oh, my goodness, I remember reading this with all of you guys when I was brand new to A Vision for You, listening. Um, I had just got my new recovered uh, big book guide, my new recovered 12-step guide. I never had a recovered person take me through this book. I didn't really know what it was to be recovered. And, you know, last time that we were all, as a as a group, as a meeting, reading this, I was brand new. And this just makes me have such wonderful memories because I remember reading this page with my, my big book guide. And the joy that came over me was that, oh my gosh, you know, I, I understand now. I understand that I'm not this stupid, insane, well, I am insane. My disease is insane. My mentality is sick with this disease. But it's just, it really gave me so much joy and freedom. I understood. And when I heard her share, you know, her experience and what this book and these steps did for her, um, it gave me so much hope. And I knew that I was on a path that is going somewhere. And um, the other thing, you know, that comes to me with this wonderful reading is that I have got to have parameters and boundaries around my food plan because my disease, it morphs, it changes, it changes its voice and its message, and it's not obvious. You see, my disease is the most subtle thing. I mean, I don't even hear it. I'm not even aware of it. And it's like we hear one of our co-fellows share that the arms of this disease are so soft that I don't feel it until they're just way too tight and then I can't get get them off of me so subtlety is this disease what it does for me it just wants to get its foot in the door and it starts way way down the road you know before I'm ever aware of it so I've got to have parameters around my food plan and one of the things that I've learned in this big book on page 99 you know it says remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people it's dependent upon his relationship with God and that's the purpose of these 12 steps you know, and I learned early on, and I remind my, my protégés that I work with that, you know, it's not about me and my message and um, what I'm asking them to do and not do. It's really about them getting, you know, this spiritual message. I got this message, you know, from my head to my heart by the grace of my higher power, and now I'm just helping them have that experience themselves. So um, I'm grateful for these 12 steps. It's, a, it's the greatest gift for us. Um, in, in our lifetime. It says so many want to stop but cannot. And that, that's why these steps are here. It's a solution. It's a lifeline. And um, the other thing I wanted to share is um, that my suffering, it, I don't have memory of my suffering. You know, it's like I have this amnesia. And I, I can't remember. I keep thinking, you know, that, well, you know, I've been really good and I've, I've abstained, you know, maybe this time it'll be different. And I could do that with abstinent food, you know, take an extra spoonful of here or restrict, you know. And that's why I've got to have these parameters and boundaries around my food plan. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Lisa B. 
I'll just check is Raquel E. Hello, this is Raquel. I'm sorry I had trouble unmuting and I have to get out and come back again. But whenever you can get me in, I'm on now. Now it's good, Raquel. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So uh this this these paragraphs are really the heart of it all and I find that um that they are summed up the best way for me. The the three chapters, the four chapters that deal with step one, and and with, that help so many who want to stop but cannot to understand why they cannot. For me, is is right there in the first step in uh, in the twelve and twelve. It it kind of condenses. You know, I I I, I highly recommend for myself and for everybody else to go back to that one short chapter. Uh, that explains how I am beyond human aid. This is what speaks to me. It's uh, uh, that, that I'm established. It says, when this sort of thinking is fully established, so I hereby announce that I'm very well established in this disease. I am the individual. But it took me 30 years, for God's sake. Well, part of it is maybe I wasn't ready, and part of it is because it was not mediated the way we are mediating this program through the big book, through this wonderful, wonderful community of uh, of the vision for you. So for me, I, I said the timer, but I didn't start it. So please uh, time me. Because I'm very excited about this. Anybody who wants to understand why they cannot has to only go, uh, for me, just going to page 24 in this um uh, 12 and 12, you know, I have, I have a remark here on, on 16th of November, 97, I wrote to him the end of this uh, uh, chapter, the first step, I wrote, not yet, not yet. I couldn't accept this yet, that it says that I only under, the, why this insistence that every AA must put that in first? The answer is, that few people will sincerely try to practice the AA program unless they have hit bottom. And don't give me that uh, it, it, you hit bottom when you stop digging. It's got to be pretty bad. And with food, it sometimes gets so bad only at the end when they write in your death certificate that you died from a, a million things except from uh, compulsive eating. So practicing AA's remaining 11 steps means the adoption, adoption of attitudes and actions that almost no alcoholic who is still drinking can dream of taking. And the end, under the lash of alcoholism, we are driven to AA, and there we discover the fatal nature of our situation. If it's not fatal, you know, people I call don't even call me back. You know, I, I call people in America from this line who sound desperate, and as soon as they find out it's from Israel, and I say, I'll call you right back. Just, you know, I, I'll call you back. I just want you to know I'm here. They don't, you know, it, it's going to cost me money, okay? So just that one minute, $2, whatever. Then, and only then, we will become as open-minded to conviction and willing to take, to listen as the dying can be. We stand ready to do anything which will lift the merciless obsession from us. So in 97, it was not yet for me. 
and how now I believe that with my further table set and me doing it alone because I cannot yet be in the food parade and it's very exciting for me. Pardon me? It's time. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for letting me share and I wish everybody a happy holiday and a wonderful afternoon. Thank you, Raquel E. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? Renata. Reva P. Monica T. Okay. Um, Judith R. Monica T. I got you, Monica. Okay, so I have Renata G, Reva P, Monica T, and uh, Judith R. I think there was one other person I heard. Leslie W. Leslie W. Okay, we'll stop there. Um, Please go ahead, Renata G. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G. Living the solution for today. Um, I want to share my experience on the line today. Renata, we can hear you. Press star one. Can you hear me now? Oh, now I can. Yes, go ahead. Okay, I got muted. Sorry. Good morning, Kathy. Thanks for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G. Living in the solution for today. I want to share my experience uh, on the line this morning, uh, hoping it will be helpful to someone. Uh, You know, here on this page, they're talking about the mental obsession and how when it takes over, you know, when it takes over my brain, most of the time I cannot think of the consequences of picking up that first bite, right? I cannot see the truth about the first bite. Or sometimes if I can think of them, you know, those thoughts are hazy and they're not sufficient. They don't have sufficient force to stop me. And, you know, when I used to live in the States, I... You know, I was recovered and I used to sponsor a lot and be in this big book a lot. And so I was always reminded of the power and the baffling features of this disease. And then, you know, moving abroad and not having that much time to sponsor and the time difference and all of that, my spiritual fitness changed. And like the book says, I only have a daily reprieve. And so, you know, on page 14 and 15, it talks about how if an alcoholic fails to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he cannot survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. And that's what happened to me. You know, um, this disease started coming in very, very slowly and patiently and subtle, subtle and all of a sudden, things that were not in my food plan, they they are allowed. They became allowed, and that triggered the allergy. And it was not anything major and obvious, but like, like I said, subtle things. But little by little, you know, sponsoring less, having a little bit of my triggering ingredients in preparation of foods and 
all of that. And all of a sudden, this mental obsession took over, you know. And when it took over, I had no defense against it. And uh, I relapsed. And But also, you know, the thing is, the truth is that there is a solution, like we're talking here in this chapter, and I don't need to stay in relapse. You know, God, by the mercy of my higher power, uh, you know, someone reached out to me and made a crack in my disease, and I, you know, made a decision with my higher power to put the food down and work the steps again, and, you know, thank you, God, today I live in a solution, not in the misery that this disease brings me to. And it's, a, you know, it was a very humbling experience. And I'm very aware that I have a disease. And if I don't keep in fit spiritual condition, I go back. My mental obsession is there. My brain is still sick. I'll always be a compulsive overeater. And so I need to use my medicine every single day. And if I'm not working my program, I forget that. Like others have shared, I start to think that, well, it's not that big of a deal. It is. It is very serious. Thanks for letting me share it, Pat. Star one, Kathy Kay. Thanks, Melanie. Thank you, Renata G. Um, Riva P., please go ahead. Good morning. It's Riva P., Grateful Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. Um, these paragraphs um, are reminding me and teaching me two things um, because it's already told me about the physical allergy to certain substances, ingredients, and behaviors, and now it's elaborating on the thinking and this is the greater aspect of my problem. Um, and it strikes me so much how clear it is that I can't think my way out of the insane thoughts. Like, it just doesn't work. Um, and um, within program, I think, um, you know, at, at first I thought I just have to think, like, affirmatively and positively and... Um, you know, it's going to be okay, or God will take care of me. And the reason why there are 60 pages between 24 and, you know, 84, 85, is because as this was shared before, like there is work to do. I can't just go from knowing that I have defective thinking to band-aiding the thoughts and using affirmations and saying, okay, I'm okay. I'm not going to be scared now. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to think about that food. God is with me. God is with me. Um, I have to do the work um, and remove all the gook in between me and my higher power so I have access to this power because it's very clear here that I'm beyond human aid. No willpower, no person, no sponsor, no, you know, 30 meetings in 30 days, none of that stuff is going to um, do it for me. And the grace of God comes to me as a result of doing the work. I thought I had to sort of force um, the God connection, and why don't I feel the God connection? Um, it's something that just happens as a result of doing the work. So this is also explaining to me why abstinence only and the food plans and the food control um, won't work for me because the biggest part of this disease is in my mind um, 
and I'm seeing how important this 10, 11, 12 constantly, constantly in my life, um, you know, removing the debris so I can access this power. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. Monica T., please. Can I ask what page Good morning, Kathy. Go ahead, Monica. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So here we are in the chapter. There is a solution, and Bill is continuing to hammer home to us what our problem is. And here we're talking about the obsession of the mind. When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid. You know, this sort of thinking, this abnormal thinking that I have, this inability to think straight. So they're giving us all kinds of examples how our crazy mind works when it comes to food. I have an inability to think straight when it comes to food. This is part of my compulsive overeating disease. Now, this is not my fault. I'm not a big loser. It's a disease, and I am totally powerless over this abnormal thinking. When this crazy thought comes into my mind, it is so powerful, so huge, it blocks out every other thought. It And if a vague sense of something comes in, it will override it very, very quickly. This insane thought will win every single time. And they're giving us a whole bunch of ideas, or not ideas, of examples of the the crazy thinking, the crazy thoughts that we have. And I had all of these, you know. Well, let's see here. Well, it says, you know, if I put my hand on a hot stove, I'm going to get burnt. And my crazy thinking says, well, stick your elbow in. It won't, you won't burn that. You know, how crazy is this? And, you know, a sick mind cannot heal a sick mind. So, you know, my own history proved to me over and over again that I was powerless over this obsession of my mind. It won every single time. It tells me a lie, and I believed the lie every time, and the other part of it was I had no memory of the consequences or the resolutions that I made. I am 100% powerless over this abnormal thinking. That's why I need a power greater than me. That's why I needed God and nobody else who was able to help me with this either. I can't do it, and no other human being could do it either. And I've spent 40 years trying to do this or have somebody else help me with it. But, you know, a lot of hope here. There is a way. This isn't, it's a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. There is a solution. It's called a power greater than me, and I get that by working the steps. Thank you, God. With that, I pass. Thank you, Monica T. Judith R., please go ahead. Hi, what page are we on? We are on page 24. Hi, this is Judith R. in Vermont. Please go ahead. Yes. Thanks, Kathy. Um, When Lisa was talking about um, the very last sentence, um, what's the use anyway, it reminded me of what my disease used to say, and it tried to trick me, and it tricked me many times and I want to tell on it, um, it would say, look, you know you really want it. 
you know you you know you're going to go get it. And then what it would say over and over was, you know I'm going to keep bugging you until you do it. So you might as well give in. And that was powerful for me because I knew it was going to keep at me and keep at me. And now I know there's a little word that all that, which is action. And so I didn't know back then that there were all these actions that I could take from the big book. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Judith R. And Leslie W., you'll be our last share. Thank you so much for your service this morning. This is Leslie W. Recovered in Tennessee. What's the use anyhow? Uh, You know, that just reminds me of the lies that I used to tell myself. Um, You know, before becoming recovered and working through the, um, the steps, I used to think that it would be enough for me to count my calories. Um, you know, okay, if I could just stay today, and I'm hoping this is going to appeal to the, all the dieters out there trying to, to white-knuckle it without working the steps. Um, if I could just stay at 1,800 calories today, um, I'll be good. Well, what would happen with me was by the, towards the end of the day, I'd see that I'd have uh, 400, 500 calories left. Well, if I went one calorie over that, I would say, let's see you city how. I'm just going to binge. I'm just going to eat what I want. And it's okay because I've already busted over my calorie limit anyway, so who cares? Um, I was casual. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, I was casual, you know. It was this nonchalant attitude that I had because I wanted to be normal so badly. I wanted to eat like other people ate. And the, the what's the use anyhow uh, dominated my life. And I finally realized um, and I can even spot that, even now as a recovered person. You know, if that thought goes through my head, oh, well, I may have had a little bit too much of this. Let me, let me just, let me just, no, 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 no. Um, I, 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 I recognize it for what it is now. Um, but in my disease, I couldn't tell the truth from the false. My perception was distorted. My brain was distorted. My thinking was distorted. Um, and I could not see clearly, but I'm so grateful for this program and for the people in this, in this meeting for showing me the truth. And the truth is that I'm a compulsive overeater and there are certain things that I must do to stay recovered. And as long as I do those things, you know what? I'm okay. I don't have to be crazy anymore with the numbers. I don't have to, 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 to do that anymore. And that's freedom. That is such freedom. So I just, so I just I wanted just, to, I just to say to thank you. This opportunity this to share. Opportunity and, I to share and I pass. 
Thank you, Leslie. Thank you, Leslie. Uh, there's a terrible uh, echo. So, um, please, um, please mute if you're on speakerphone. Thank you. Um, it's now time to close this meeting. Um, I want to thank everyone who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today's meeting, 7 a.m. on April 7th, is 9809. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Chrissy G., would you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Sure, it's Chrissy G., recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic from New Jersey. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find in my mess. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the roads of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.